0: The American Express Shaping Insights Podcast.
1: Probably the most important idea you know I've ever had, democratizing luxury, making it accessible to anybody and everybody who wants it. Times change. It's a different era. It's time for making products that are reasonably priced but not gummed down. That, to me, is the new luxury, by the way, a spiritual luxury, not a material luxury. And I think that's something I learned from the nightclub.
0: Hello, and welcome to the Shaping Insights podcast presented by American Express, where we bring you expert perspectives on the latest trends in the luxury and travel industries. I'm Fiona McCarthy, London-based lifestyle designer and travel writer, contributing to magazines and newspapers around the world, including The Times, The Telegraph, Elle Decoration, and Vogue Living. And I'll be your host for this episode. Ian Schrager is the legendary co-creator of the world's most famous nightclub, Studio 54. And since then, he has revolutionized the entertainment, residential, and hospitality industries. He has created spectacular experiences where design, technology, and music merge in a remarkable fashion. Influencing the scene for decades to come. Schrager's most recent project, Public, is what he considers his most important idea to date. A hotel that exudes impeccable taste and offers great style, great fun, great service, and a new kind of luxury and affordability to all. For the past year, Schrager has reimagined and rethought all amenities and offerings at Public in pursuit of excellence and as part of his quest to create a hotel as close to perfection as possible. Today, Ian will be offering insights into the future of the travel and hospitality industry and what interesting shifts he's seeing across the landscape. We're absolutely honoured that Ian has taken time out of his day to chat to us. Welcome, Ian. Thank you very much. So tell us, where are you at the moment and how has the past year been for you? Uh, Well, um, I'm out at the beach with my family.
1: Uh, and uh, I've been out here for uh, since March of last year. Wow. So we've been out here for 13 or 14 months, you know, working very hard. For me, it's been a really wonderful year.
0: Has it given you a different perspective to sort of rethink things?
1: Completely different. Uh, but it was uh, really more of, a, uh, of an opportunity to uh, recalibrate and uh, redirect myself. Mm. It was also an opportunity to get very close to my family. Uh, and Mm. uh, so I look at this as a found year, uh, not a lost year.
0: Fantastic. So let's start by taking a step back to the 1970s when you opened Studio 54. You're globally famous as the co-founder of this most iconic New York-based nightclub. What did you learn from those days? What was it like, and how are you now implementing that across your hotels?
1: Well, the most important thing I learned, because I was in the nightclub business, It had the same liquor and the same music uh, that everybody else was offering. And the the only way that I could distinguish uh, what we were doing from what everybody else was doing was to create magic, to create an alchemy. Uh, We didn't have any distinctive product. In learning how to work in the nightclub business, which gave me exposure to various creative disciplines like film and music and theater and design and architecture, Having to take all of that and kind of mix it together uh, to create an alchemy really served me well when I went into the hotel business and the restaurant business and the apartment business, because there I actually had a product. So now if I can apply that uh, uh, attempt to create magic with an actual product, I felt it
0: gave me an edge, gave me a leg up on other people. Amazing. So you've developed phenomenally successful global brands from that one discotheque startup. For young entrepreneurs who want to develop in the travel and hospitality industries, what advice would you give them, drawing back from your experience? You
1: know, I would say to be relentless in the pursuit of your dreams. Do not be afraid of uh, failure. Failure means really making progress. If you're afraid of failure, then you get kind of paralyzed and you don't try or do anything. Uh, I think uh, innovation always uh, will give you access uh, uh, and a a free path to success. And don't listen to anybody uh, that tells you that hasn't been done before or it can't be done. Uh, You know, for me, when I hear that, that just motivates me uh, to do more.
0: Absolutely. Without doubt, you have been referenced as one of the great creative tastemakers from the last 50 years. What do you think makes someone a great creative leader?
1: Well, it's a little bit like uh, what I just told young people. You know, I'm not afraid of errors. Uh, And I think uh, I am uh, incurably curious about everything. Mm. I always have been. I think that curiosity uh, with my uh, not being afraid of failure kind of allows me to see things other people don't see and connect the dots. Usually everything going on out there is part of a continuum. And it you know kind of leads you to where people are headed. And you just kind of have to put that together by being a voyeur, by looking at what people are doing, their collective consciousness, and try and piece something together to take them to where they don't know they want to go yet but uh, you feel confident, you know, that you do and you're going to lead them there. And that's really the fun part of what uh, we try and do.
0: And do you do that through reading, actually going places, going to galleries? How do you sort of source that inspiration?
1: Well, I have absolutely no data uh, and uh, no marketing surveys and no focus groups. You you can ask people what, what what's coming next, you can only ask them what they know. They're only gonna tell you what they already know and like. It doesn't expand uh, the horizon. Uh, so yes, I uh, read everything I can get my hands on, uh, whether it's magazines or over social media. Uh, I read books, I, I'm just uh, interested in culture. Mm-hmm. That's all I do and then I just instinctively feel what's happening and where people are headed.
0: Let's talk about the concept of the boutique hotel, which of course you invented and have pioneered ever since. What does that legacy mean to you and what do you think it will bring to the future?
1: Well, I think the boutique hotel, which was my idea with Steve, uh, my former partner, is the future of the industry. In America, the hotel industry grew up around the efficiencies of execution. And, and the location you were at. And I think uh, with the growth of the mass market, that was suitable and fine for those days. But I think now people want elevated experiences. Uh, they want a kind of emotional connection. They want to stay in a hotel that kind of manifests the kind of person they are and who they are. It's a little bit like you are what you eat. Uh, you know, you are where you stay. And so I think uh, what started out as trying to be a hotel that had a specific point of view uh, with an elevated experience and jettisoning all the old uh, things that uh, my parents loved. Not that I, I reject what my parents loved, it's just that I wanted something for my generation. Yeah. And so now I think we've come full circle. And so now that I think this elevated experience and distinct product is the future of the business, Uh, And I think uh, everybody's jumping on that bandwagon. Some have a vision. Some only replicate what they see. But I think that's good for consumers because they get a better better product. They don't get the same hotel in Boston that they get in London. They get a different hotel. Yeah. Uh, And I think that's a good thing. In
0: 1984, you invented what has been deemed the world's first urban resort with Morgan Hotels. What inspired, what triggered you to rethink that for the hotel industry?
1: We were just trying to do a hotel that we liked, personally. Yeah. I think any creative person functions like that. I think Steven Spielberg does the kind of films he's interested in. I think fashion designers do the kind of clothes they themselves like. Definitely. I I think that's the way the process works. Uh, You know, they like it, and then they're just kind of amazed... That there's a lot of other people out there that also respond to it. It was just we were doing a hotel that we wanted. We wanted to stay in, you know, following our own drumbeat and and doing what we ourselves uh, cared about. Uh, and uh, it was just one of those natural successes that took off. Thank God I've never had not had a success. But some of them are natural and happen quite easily. And then some of them I have to work at. Uh, But uh, Morgan just took off like a bat out of hell. And it was just uh, 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 an instant success from the day we opened the doors.
0: And what do you think encapsulated that success for you? You said you're doing something for yourself. What were those sort of key factors then?
1: Well, you know, I think we just approached the hotel from a completely different point of view. First of all, we worked with a French designer, Andre Buckman, which was a very treacherous thing for us to do because people in France uh, bathe different than people in America. They don't mind when their water closet is in a separate room from the sink. Uh, The sink heights are a different height in France than they are in America. The plans come in meters, not in inches. They have square pillows. We have rectangular pillows. But we thought working with Andre was a kind of a built-in advantage. We were gonna get a new view, a new look, a new take. And we wanted it to be modern and uh, young at heart uh, and very stylized, very residential in feel, throwing out all of those hotel rules, like uh, the uh, smelly bedspreads uh, <laughs> and uh, the indestructible material and finishes in the hotel, we got rid of all that. We were the first ones, by the way, in the industry that had white sheets mm-hmm. and white pillowcases and white towels and uh, glass enclosed showers rather than uh, tubs, etc, uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera, and it's just what people wanted. And they didn't know they wanted that, of course because all oh, they were aware of what they were currently getting.
0: <laughs> so through that, you have been incredibly successful at building new communities, you know, bringing different people together across all your different projects. How have you created those really impressively loyal universes around your hotels? You know, they're a really diehard Schrager, whatever it is you're doing, fans, aren't there? Yes, they are, thank God. Uh, and... Uh... You know, I feel what it is at that.
1: Another thing I learned from the nightclub business, the secret to having uh, a very successful public space is diversity. They want to see people that are not like themselves. They want to get that spice of life, that energy, that combustibility that comes with diversity. So in the nightclub business, uh, I'd see a woman in a ball gown and a diamond tiara dancing with a guy with no shirt on and a pair of tight jeans. They didn't care. Yeah. You know, they were, they were having fun. And nobody cared if there was a celebrity right next to door. And everyone was there just to have fun. And when you're in that diversity, you get a kind of feeling of freedom. You can do whatever you want. That to me is a new luxury, by the way, a spiritual luxury, not a material luxury. And I think that's something I learned from the nightclub. And so if you jump forward 40 years, we are after the same thing. Right. That freedom and that comfort that one gets uh, when you are dealt with nicely and, and, and you feel comfortable and, and, and looked after and protected and nothing you do will hurt you. It's the same thing we're after without the mayhem uh, and everything that went on in the nightclub. <laughs>
0: So Ian, with Public, your latest hotel project in downtown Manhattan, what's the philosophy in essence behind your idea of luxury for all? Probably the
1: most important idea I've ever had, democratising luxury, making it accessible to anybody and everybody who wants it, not only reserving it for rich people, uh, which is what the initial notion of luxury was all about. Uh, Times change. It's a different era. It's time for more egalitarian. It's time for making products that are reasonably priced, but not dumbed down for people to be able to have access to. And so for me, you know, luxury isn't a material luxury. That's old fashioned That's old dated. That's something from three or 400 years ago that we in America got from Europe. White gloves, gold buttons, gold epaulettes, pretentious service. I don't think people really care about that today you know what we're trying to do is to make people feel at home the same way you felt at home once you got past the door of studio 54 by the way (laughs) not outside the door you had to get in first but (laughs) once you were in boy you felt you were part of a special group you felt comfortable you knew it was special you got treated nicely and you felt that sense of freedom That's luxury, especially in this time where everybody's harried, everybody's uh, spread too thin. And so I think uh, if you can have somebody stay in your hotel and you give them that free time that they don't have anymore, that every transaction at the hotel is done through technology to make it easier and simplify, no friction points, no hassles, That to me is luxury. And that's what we try and do.
0: So tell us a little bit more about that importance of innovation, which I know you've executed across technology, design and service, particularly embodied in public. Tell us what has driven that innovation and why it's so important to you. The only way you're going to have a successful product
1: is if you come up with something new. That is the only thing that resonates with people and gets them exciting. We all want to feel we're part of something new and special, always. It's part of our human condition. It can't be too new. It can't be too intellectual. It just has to be something new enough that it's a fresh, original idea that everybody loves. It's the innovation that has always interested me, always. Upsetting the status quo, being a little bit subversive uh, to uh, popular culture, moving people where they're not sure they even want to go there. So the idea is, is to kind of take this new technology and try and kind of figure out a way that makes life better for people, makes it easier, or makes it cheaper. Yeah, uh, And you're not going to get that from the technology companies. They're inventing technology. You have to get with someone that connects that to what people want. And again, you're not going to get that
0: in a focus group. And you're not going to get that from statistics. So, for instance, you're using contactless technology across all sorts of areas at Public. Tell us a little bit more about that.
1: Well, we think that uh, the future holds that you don't want to go to a hotel and sit down and have a glass of champagne and make small talk with a front desk operator. You want to get up to your room as fast as possible. You don't even want to stop in the lobby. You want to get your key and get up there. It's just a, a different time and a different age. So we want to make check-in and check-out absolutely invisible, non-existent, uh, because that's what people people want today. Yeah, You know, now like any new idea, always meet with some kind of resistance. Like, hey, we like the personal contact at the front desk. Oh, come on. Do you mind getting your directions over your iPhone? Uh, do you mind ordering anything over Amazon and not having interaction with the salesperson? No, it's just that it's a little bit of resistance and you have to show them that it makes it easier. The, the contradiction is that with the pandemic, And with people wanting contactless check-in for health reasons, it opens up the world to accepting this technology. It would have accepted it anyways, but this expedites it. Every transaction at a hotel, every single transaction, from wanting your bed made up to ordering food, paying, everything, that could be done by technology that... Uh, makes it cheaper or easier you know should be done and then that personal contact that you want the guest will get it in many many more important places and that mean much more to the guest than making small talk
0: at a front desk brilliant i mean genius idea so for hotels and travel the travel industry in general Should they be targeting different generations of travellers, are the 20-somethings wanting something different from the travel experiences that those in their 40s or 60s are wanting? Or is it more like a tribal thing? You know, you're a certain mindset and you're aiming at those sorts of people. It's more like that as the way any good brand is. You know, uh, uh, who's the Apple customer?
1: I, I say Apple because I'm a big admirer. You know, it's no demographic that applies to people that buy iPhones, and yeah. it goes from the 27-year-old uh, Miley Cyrus uh, to the 78-year-old uh, Mick Jagger. Uh, it has nothing to do with uh, demographics. You know, when I hear big companies saying we're opening up a hotel for uh, millennials, or I, 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 I think it's it's just not. A good idea. You have to appeal to a sensibility. It's that same diversity issue. It cuts across all ages, all strata of wealth, where you
0: live, what you come from, either you get it or you don't get it. Oh, definitely. And don't you think that that thinking is now also key in how social media has become so important in the business of storytelling? How have you embraced that? Well,
1: for me, it's been very important because... I'm not on social media to uh, interact with individuals and, and be a part of all that. I'm on it because it's like a very current, very fast magazine of what's going on in the world visually. Every day, all over the world. Yeah. You know, uh, I used to do that with, uh, you know, magazines, what was going on and all that.
0: But for the hotel, so for the fans you've already established with Public, but also those who maybe haven't encountered it yet, how important has social media been in that conversation and that dialogue? It's absolutely critical. It's absolutely critical because it also doesn't cost
1: very much Uh, and it's put out there instantly. And that really should become the focus of uh, marketing and promotions i think the media that you get over uh, over technology including the podcasts are just incredibly incredibly important and and more powerful and more relevant and more timely than what uh, the the uh, uh, the print can do it's absolutely the future
0: yes that speed and and that marriage of visuals and words and access to the millions of billions of people around the world is is phenomenal, isn't it? For you, how do you champion customer experience at public? Uh, And how do you want your hotels to interact with customers on both an aesthetic level, because you're obviously very uh, well-known for your design eye, but also on an emotional level? Making an emotional connection with the guest is absolutely essential.
1: The whole thing is designed for that, an emotional connection, a visceral, emotional connection. Uh, In that case, you know, talk about Walt Disney, another uh, inspiration for me. You know, I have a 10-year-old son. You know, I remember going to the movie theater and watching Peter Pan with my mother uh, standing in line. Uh, And that was, uh, I don't know, 50, 60 years ago. My son still responds to the same animated cartoons that I do. Try looking at a movie done 50, 60 years ago. It moves too slow. It seems irrelevant, except for the real classics, the great ones. And so, and the reason that is, is because it was so well executed, that animation was available with everybody else. But Walt Disney just did that in a way that it made an emotional connection. You know, whatever it is, I think the emotional connection is just critical. And how do you get that? I don't know. Uh, You know, you just have to mask (laughs) all of the details and everything together and hope at the end of the day
0: the alchemy happens. So is it about generosity for you then? You know, and then attention to detail on uh, the beautiful way a chair looks, the lighting, the service, the food, you know, great drinks, but that sort of, it's a generosity of spirit perhaps? Absolutely. It's a generosity of spirit and it is a massing of the details
1: because you think people don't see it and not everybody does, but people see it. So when you talk about a chair, you're talking about the stitching, you're talking about the nails that go in, you're talking about the legs. You're talking about the thing at the bottom of the leg. You're talking about everything. So it all comes together. And, and that's when uh, the totality of it is more than the sum of the individual
0: part. And that's the magic. That's so inspiring. So you've also launched an e-commerce platform, Public Trade. Tell us a little bit more about the philosophy behind that, but also the importance of e-commerce today as that marketing platform that enables customers to take the hotel experience home with them.
1: You know that's uh, really more of a of a of a business money making uh, idea than anything else. We put so much effort into the designs, and uh, you know we found people uh, you know that wanted to buy it. My old idea was no. If you want to experience this, you have to come to the hotel and pay the rate. But now I feel, wait a minute, there's money to be made here. So that's really why we're doing it. But that's not a social motivation. It's, it's more just, a, you know, profit incentive.
0: It's extremely impressive the way you have always advocated for LGBTQIA plus rights and diversity. How has that forward-thinking, open-minded approach impacted the success of your businesses?
1: Well, it's just critical. It's just critical because it's a good sign to the public uh, that you are a good uh, person of society with humanity uh, and you respect all people. That's just very, very, very important today. Uh, uh, And uh, unfortunately, it took a long time to get to this place. You know, we do it because it's the right thing to do. Uh, you know, uh, it's not a marketing thing. It's, 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 it's the right thing to do. It's the same thing like, uh, you know, doing a green building, a building that doesn't have a big carbon footprint. Mm. Most people use that as a marketing tool. We don't. You can't get a great architect, by the way, to do a building that's not green. Uh, you know, it's just it, that's socially irresponsible. So I just think being socially responsible is good karma. It's good vibe yeah. and it also increases the relationship, uh, the connection between you and your guests. It's just a very, very important thing. It's the right thing to do and and, and doing the right thing uh, is also a good business.
0: So you've opened hotels in cities all around the world. What does the vibrancy of each of those cities sort of bring to you and and mean to you? And then how does that inspire your creative approach?
1: You know, when I was younger in college and I went around the world, you know, after I graduated college, uh, you know, every place was different. Skirt lengths were different heights, haircuts were different, jackets, everything was different. And I never understood why a lot of smart people were complaining about globalisation, you know, uh, and, and now I finally get it. Uh, You know, it's not good when people in England uh, and people uh, in Munich and and in uh, Austin all look the same, uh, all dress the same. It's not a great thing, but even with that, there are always intrinsic, inherent things about a city that are unique to that city. It doesn't take long to figure those things out. It's a couple of days, maybe. On a bike, riding around the city, and to try and grab what it is special about that city—subtle things, yeah. Like in London, by the way, the people who eat in restaurants in London don't like music being played. You know, the people in America do. Yeah. You know, so you can capture a place like London uh, without having Big Ben's available in the gift shop. And without having men in black furry hats and red regalia standing out front, but there's an essence of it, the way that they communicate with each other, you got to try and uh, grab that subtlety. Uh, We just did a a Peruvian restaurant in public with Diego uh, Munoz, which is just uh, just great. Uh, And his food is very healthy and it's fish and vegetable oriented. You know, we don't have any Peruvian colors. Yeah in that restaurant. Uh you know, we don't have those cliches, you know, but we, we try to pick up on the subtleties, the intrinsic signals of what uh Peru is all about and put that into the restaurant and put that into the pottery. Not a literal Peruvian thing, but it's capturing the spirit. And that's the secret when I do a hotel. You have to do a hotel that manifests the time and place it's in. Absolutely. So when people go there, they feel like they're in that place. You
0: stay in a hotel in Paris, you feel like you're in Paris. <laughs> so for you, with the future of travel, where do you think it lies? And what really excites you about it?
1: Well, I don't really believe in paradigm shifts. Uh, I've never seen one in all humanity. So I, I, I kind of think that uh, as long as there's life, there will be travel. No question about it. Can't tell you when it gets right back to where it was, but not gonna be very long and it will go back. There are three things that I could see on the future. Number one, I think this proliferation of brands, uh, the multitude of brands that are out there are kinda of silly because they don't set up any level of expectation for their customers and they really don't mean anything other than being a name. So I think that's gonna change. I think there's gonna be a combination of um, business and leisure travel, a merger of those two. And why not? People go to their golf club to play golf and also do business. Why shouldn't that be part of the travel? Think there's not gonna be as much segmentation uh, in, in, uh, there's too much. You know, I actually think, again, I don't have any data for this. Uh, I actually think the future of the business are hotels like public yeah and hotels for the one percent very expensive really richly anointed those two groups in there you also might see some all-inclusive city hotels uh, where you come in pay one thing and you have access to uh to everything that's something kind of interesting that's the way uh you know, I, I I see things happening.
0: So with that in mind, what do you feel your hotels should now bring to this new sense of business meets travel experience?
1: You know, people come in, you know, their heart should be a little faster. They should realise they're in a special place. They get bombarded uh, with the stimulus to all of their senses and you just realise you're in a special place and it makes you feel good. Making you feel good is more important than how the place looks. The the way the place looks is a little bit like the special effects in a movie. Uh, It makes a, a good movie great, but it doesn't make a bad movie good. So I think you're not just selling sleep. You're trying to make people feel good. You're trying to have a microcosm of the best that that city has to offer right here in that hotel. The best restaurant, the best bars, the best everything right here. And uh, people feel uh, they're uh, part of a special club because they know that they're in the place that all the people in the know go to.
0: (laughs) Ian, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts for this Shaping Insights podcast. We are so incredibly honoured to have heard from Let's Face It, an iconic figure of the hotel and travel industry for the past 50 years. It has been an absolute pleasure speaking to you Thank you so much for joining us. It was fun. They were all good questions. You know, to me, you push the button and I'm off. (laughs) We very much hope you enjoyed this Shaping Insights podcast presented by American Express. Don't do business without it.